Hi, I'm Steve Mabb, Chair of the Australian Shareholders Association, and we're proud to be hosting the 2024 Investor Conference in Melbourne from the 19th to the 21st of May. And we're stoked that Phil, the host of this podcast, is going to be our special guest MC. If you haven't heard much about the ASA Conference, it's a flagship event that attracts around 300 investors and industry professionals, including the Chair of National Australia Bank this year, the Chair of AGL. We have Dr. Sam Hupert, the founder and CEO of Primedicus, and we've also got Richard White, the founder and CEO of WiseTech coming along, along with many others. For a limited time, new members can enjoy special pricing on registration for the upcoming conference, along with a complimentary 12-month digital membership with the ASA. That's two-day conference registration plus one-year ASA membership for $499, a saving of $150. Simply search for Australian Shareholders Conference Register, click on two-day conference non-member, enter the discount code MEM, as in member, 499, the number's 499, so that's MEM 499 to claim your special offer. Come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The market is driven by people and people are emotional and make emotional decisions. And one key thing that people do is take the most recent information and extrapolate it into the future. That's Carl McIntyre from Firetrail Investments, my very special guest in this episode. But I want to do a little housekeeping before we get started. Spotify have just started releasing podcast listening data, and this is giving me valuable information about you, the audience. It seems that 65% of you are between 18 and 34. In total, 89% of you are under 44 years of age. You also seem to be listening to Ed Sheeran, Taylor Swift, Khalid, Drake and Post Malone. I don't know what to make of this, but I find it very heartening. It's important to get started in investing at a younger age, taking responsibility for the future. I've got a survey page on my site at sharesforbeginners.com forward slash survey. It would be great if you could take a few moments to fill it in so that I can more accurately tailor the podcast for you. I can also verify whether the Spotify data is correct. There's a section for comments, and just by the way, I want to say a big thank you to Alice for your comments. Your kind words give me the inspiration to keep doing this podcast. It makes me feel that I may be doing something worthwhile. So back to Kyle. We'll be taking a deep dive into Telstra and Downer EDI. Shake it off, Kyle. You're an investment specialist at Firetrail, and your main responsibility is providing investment and portfolio insights to professional investors. You're an MBA graduate with over eight years relevant experience. What is it about this game that you like? Well, if, if I think about my early career, I actually came from a cloud computing background, which I found really, really interesting. Uh, but as I was doing my MBA, 
I came across a guy called Warren Buffett and in particular his sidekick, Charlie Munger. Now, for people who are listening who don't know who Warren Buffett is, he's probably the most famous investor in my world. And he just had some really simple philosophies that I bought into, buying undervalued companies, holding them for a long time. And I thought to myself, geez, that sounds like something I'd really like to get involved in. It sounds like something that would suit my temperament. And so I decided, hey, why don't, why don't I give it a go? And I joined Macquarie seven or eight years ago. And, and now here we are today speaking to you as part of Firetrail. And uh, I really enjoyed my time at Macquarie, as did the full Firetrail team. We all actually yeah, all came, came from, from Macquarie. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Doing exactly the same thing at Macquarie as, as we're doing today, which is buying Australian companies for, for investors that we think will generate exceptional returns. And we wanted to have ownership of the business, a closer relationship with our clients. And to do that, we thought we should do this together with a business, have equity ownership or a stake in the business. It means you think like an owner. And in my view, when you think like an owner, you think a lot more long-term, which is good for making investment decisions and also good for our investors as well. And you also get alignment between what you're doing and what your clients are doing. And so we've got skin in the game. We're owners in the business, but we also co-invest alongside our clients. And so we're very yeah, you're, you're investing, you're investing your own money as well as the, yeah, um, absolutely. As the client's money. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. we're having the same experience mm. as our clients are experiencing. But for us, we're trying to build a portfolio of Australian companies that we believe will generate exceptional returns over the long term looking through the short-term noise and making decisions based on what you think the best long-term outcomes are going to be. Okay, now I'm just going to quote something that you said. We met at the uh, ASX Investor Conference uh, back in June. Great day. The biggest decision you make when you invest in a company is the price that you pay for that company. Now, that seems like a really simple statement, but I think for someone just beginning in investing in the share market, it's a very important statement. Taking a step back when you think about investing in a company or you're thinking about investing in a stock, really what you're trying to do is value the underlying business, the earnings of that underlying business, and find out what those earnings are worth looking into the future. Now, there are some different variables that go into that, but if you take a step back, you can really think of it like buying a house. You research the suburb or the industry that the company's in, you research the home itself, the quality of that home, what you think it's worth, what other homes in a similar area have sold for, and the aim of investing is to pay less than what you believe that house or that company is actually worth. And so the biggest decision on your investment returns, in my view, is paying less than what that company is actually intrinsically worth. Now, how do these opportunities become available is the key question because there are really three key parts to investing. The first is the fundamental side and that is working out what you believe a company is worth, doing the research, modeling it out, looking at the earnings of that company and coming up with a valuation. The second part is psychological and it is taking a view that is different to other people in the market, different to the average investor, different to the consensus view and having the conviction to know that that view is right. Now, it may not be right in the short term, but if you have conviction in the long-term view there, then that's where the big opportunities become available. And the opportunity is finding something that is undervalued because the market or the consensus today believes something different to what you believe into the future. The final thing is the risk. 
And so what we look to do is reduce the risk or the impact of those macroeconomic events and take risk in picking the right companies. Okay, that's a great explanation because I think the statement that I was referring to when you, um, the most important decision is the price you pay for that company. A lot of people will take that as a very, or they mightn't look into the depth of it and say, oh, look, that stock's just, um, you know, dropped 20%. It must be a good buy now. Mm. This is a trap for investors, isn't it? Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, the, the classic terminology is a yield trap. And that's when the price of something comes down. And so the perceived future dividend rises, uh, the return that you get rises, but you've got to uncover the underlying reason for that share price decline. And, and something we do at Firetrail is, is for any company that we're looking at, we focus on what matters. Uh, we try to cut through the noise that's going on in the short term and, and we ask ourselves, what are the key drivers in the medium to long term of this business. And so to give you a practical example, a company like Telstra that everyone would be familiar with, the key driver of Telstra's future earnings is mobile and mobile competition. And so for us, we'll spend 80% of our time focusing on mobile competition, what's going on between Telstra, Optus, Vodafone, and TPG, where we think the pricing environment's going to go and where Telstra is positioned competitively, whether that's a positive or a negative. And then we'll also focus on the second thing that matters for Telstra, which is the cost out opportunity and how efficiently they're running that business to generate Sorry, what's returns. that, the, the cost out opportunity? Yeah, the cost out opportunity. And so very simplistically, you've got your revenues, which is money coming into the business. You've got your costs, which, are money, which is money coming out of the business. And then underlying that revenues, less costs are the profit that that business is making, which is which is really what the shareholders get. And those profits are either reinvested into the business for growth or they're distributed as dividends to investors. Now, when I talk about the cost out opportunity, that is management's ability to control those costs and reduce those costs so that you're getting more earnings coming out of that business, either being reinvested or, or coming out to shareholders. And so for Telstra, they're also uh, looking to reduce costs in the underlying business And what that means is you've got a pretty strong earnings growth profile in Telstra today. And that's the sort of thing that we look for, trying to break it down into what matters. And for Telstra, very simply, the revenue line, the cost line, and how are they going to improve earnings? And that's how we think about it. Now, the decision you need to make coming back to- Sorry, just before we go on, uh, we just want to say, this is not a recommendation to buy Telstra, okay? (laughs) No, not at all. This is is purely an example that we're using as a a case study. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And and to give you a, a really good feel as to how we think about making decisions about an investment. Now, to bring that back to the biggest decision you make, the biggest decision you will make is once you've worked out the earnings profile of a business like Telstra, is how much are you willing to pay for those earnings looking forward? And there are some different factors you need to think about. How strong are those earnings going to grow? How long are those earnings going to grow? Are there structural challenges um, that Telstra may face in the future? And you bring that all together into a valuation for Telstra. Um, And if that valuation today, if I believe that valuation is less than what the share price of Telstra is today, then for me, that's a compelling investment opportunity. And it's not only the biggest decision you make, the price you'll pay, it's the biggest risk you'll take. Because as you know, if you buy a home, if you overpay for that home, 
chances are it's going to take a very long time for you to get that money back or that return back for your home. Every number is uh, dependent on that initial payment price, isn't it? Absolutely. Everything comes off of, off of that. Absolutely. Not every investor has the tools that you, uh, that you would have at your disposal for valuing a company. If you just go onto the CompSec website, you look up Telstra and you see the PA ratio, that is not the number that you should be acting upon. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, when you're looking to invest in a company, you need to think about the full profit and loss statement, your, your income statement. So what are the revenues? What are the costs? What are the earnings? But you also need to go further than that. You need to have a look at the company's balance sheet, which is really just look, taking a look at a company at a point in time and saying, what is the health of this company? And so the ordinary investor at home can do a lot of this stuff. As you mentioned, they probably don't have as many of the tools or the systems as a professional investor, but there's no reason why you can't value a company just by going and understanding that company. And intuitively, you and I know intuitively what makes a good business, you know what makes a good brand. It's taking that next step and having a look at the financials underlying that and say, okay, well, we know it's a good brand. We feel like it's a good business. Let's go and quantify that and actually work out what that business is worth. Okay, well, let's uh, look at another company that you've got a lot of expertise in, and that's uh, Downer EDI. Now, Downer EDI is an, a, an infrastructure company? Yeah. I, or urban services? I, I'd classify it as a bit of both. Uh, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I see Downer as an infrastructure company, an urban services company, and I think a lot of investors out there see Downer as a construction and contracting business, and taking a look at what matters, what I was talking to earlier, that is probably the key distinction between what I see when I look at Downer and what other investors see when they look at Downer. And I believe the quality of Downer's business is reflected in its infrastructure-like business model, which is very, very different to a construction-style business model. 
earning streams coming through, usually long dated contracts behind those earnings that guarantee the earnings profile. On the other end of the spectrum with construction, a lot of these projects are what we call fixed base projects. And so you've got a fixed revenue line that you're charging, say you're building a house and I tell you it's gonna cost $400,000 to build. That house may cost less than $400,000, in which case I'll make a profit, but it could cost more than $400,000, in which case I'm taking some risk there and could could make a loss. People see on their um, their superannuation statement where their, their money's going, there's Australian shares, there's international shares, um, there's real estate, and there's infrastructure. And so this is what we're talking about, isn't it? Infrastructure projects. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly And, and this right. is a really important part of a person's portfolio. That they're not, You don't necessarily have to be looking at shares per se, but you're looking at as a sector, and infrastructure is a very important sector in any investment, long-term investment strategy. Is this the case? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And that asset allocation decision that you're talking to, whether you're investing purely in Australian shares or international shares or bonds, term deposits, infrastructure style assets, that is a critical decision that you make, hopefully with the advice of a financial advisor to help you make those decisions through time. It's a great way to diversify your portfolio so that you're not reliant on one earning stream coming through when you're diversifying across different asset classes. Australian shares may underperform one year, but bonds may outperform, infrastructure style assets may outperform, and they can offset each other and actually make a smoother return profile. Okay, so that's that's what's on that uh, superannuation statement. That's what infrastructure yeah. means. And uh, so is this why down is misunderstood? People think of it as a construction company rather than a infrastructure company. Uh, absolutely. That's, that, that is my key view. And for me, the reason down is thought of that way is, you know, construction and engineering were a large part of Downer's business. And so if we take a step back and talk about what Downer EDI does, as you mentioned, they work in infrastructure style projects, but they specialize in urban services. So infrastructure style projects that are delivered in cities. Now, why is that important? It's important because as you've seen in Sydney, in Australia, uh, in Melbourne, in Australia, and all the large cities in Australia, but also around the world, you're seeing people move from regional areas into cities, as this is where a lot of the jobs are being concentrated. And this growing population and the growing population moving into city areas is creating demand for urban services. So things like new roads, new public transport infrastructure, healthcare, stadiums, and the like. Now, Traditionally, governments have two choices when they're looking to build these projects. They can do them themselves or they can outsource these projects to a specialist like Downer. Now, doing them themselves, government are capital allocators. They receive taxes and they decide what to do with those taxes, but government don't really do anything. And so they really need to outsource this function or build it themselves. And the preference has been, particularly in Australia, to outsource these urban services, the building and maintenance of these urban services to a company like Downer. Now, where Downer generates its earnings from is they will advise on the building of these projects. They'll advise on the construction of these projects and actually get involved and partner with people in the construction of these projects, which is the construction element of Downer's business, which is still there. But they're also working on the maintenance and the support of these projects. So maintaining the roads through time, 
They look after the Auckland Correctional Facility, maintaining that facility through time. They do a lot of work with the MCG, the Melbourne Cricket Ground. And often these contracts can last up to 30 years. And so they are infrastructure style returns that you're getting from Downer. Critically, they specialize in building these projects, but they're only taking on projects where they have long-term contracts behind them to service these projects into the future. So things like the Waratah trains uh, in New South Wales, they provide the trains to the government, but they also service these trains and the train stations into the future. And so for us, it's a very, very high quality business with very predictable earnings coming through. And that's the sort of business that we like. Now, critically, what you pay for that business is the critical question once again. And for us, the business is worth more than what the market thinks uh, today because we believe the quality of those earnings is underestimated. I've got to say, just on a personal note, that you can see the efficiency of their operations. Um, I didn't realise when they resurfaced the street outside here that it was down. And it's extraordinary that they can... It's like a day to do the whole street. Yeah. Well, and they're they're kind of uh, an unknown entity in Australia, but let me give you a couple of facts. They employ more people than CBA. They employ more people in Australia than Telstra. Uh, They've got $48 billion worth of new projects in the pipeline. And so Downer are actually a really, really large part of the social and economic infrastructure, in particular in Australia, but also in New Zealand. And it's a company that's that's not that well known in the Australian market. Probably a lot of people listening today wouldn't have heard of Downer before, but they're absolutely critical in the daily things that you and I are doing. And these are the opportunities we love. Okay, I'm going to throw another quote back at you. You can buy Downer today. Okay, I know we're not sp- talking about specifically today, which is the is it the 30? 31st of July today, 2019. You can buy Downer today at an under a market multiple of 14 to 15 times one year forward price to earnings. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, when you're looking to value a company, you're valuing uh, the earnings stream of that company and the future cash flows of that business. And so for Downer, Today, what the market is telling you is that Downer is worth 14 times next year's earnings. Now, the market today, the ASX 200, the top 200 stocks in the Australian equity market today trade on an average of 16.7 times price to earnings. And so what the market is telling you is that Downer on average is cheaper than the market as a whole. Now, what's important when you're looking at Downer is the underlying earnings because I think we'll touch on it soon, but the earnings of Downer in our view will actually grow at a faster rate than the market earnings, at least looking out over the next few years based on our forecasts. And so the key decision we've got to make and the key question we're trying to ask is what are we willing to pay for these earnings? And putting it very simplistically, if Downer is growing at a faster rate than the market, and the earnings growth is faster than the market, and you're able to buy it at a discount to what people are paying to buy the whole market, then that to me is a compelling investment opportunity. So how do you know that the the earnings are growing above market? That is the key question because that is based on our own forecasts. And so when we're looking at a company like Downer, it's looking at the project pipeline, that $48 billion worth of projects that are coming through, working out the probability of them coming through and the timing of those projects coming through and working out the revenue and then looking at the cost base of Downer, how 
much are the costs going to have to increase to take on that new work, i.e. employing new people to do that work, buying new equipment, potentially looking at new plants close by, depending on where the work is situated, and then working out what do we believe the future earnings are going to be. Now, all of these are our own forecasts and our own predictions. And the key question we're asking is, are our earnings forecasts similar to what the market expects or are they higher than what the market expects? If our earnings forecasts are higher, then that gives us a bit of an edge and and we believe we've got an edge there because we've got faster earnings growth than what people think. And the second question is, what is the valuation? What are people paying for those earnings? And in our view, if you're getting better growth than the market itself and you're paying less than the market, then that's quite compelling as well. And really, for things to go right for Downer, you don't need a lot to happen uh, because even if we're off a little bit in our earnings, our earnings are quite substantially higher than what we expect the market to grow at. And so we could be out by a couple of percent on the earnings, but if you're still delivering above market growth, then we believe you should still be paying a premium for a business like Downer. So just to clarify, we're not talking about a time horizon, about um, a day, a year, anything like this. This is something for someone to buy and hold for a longer term of investing. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, for us, we've always got an intrinsic value or or what we believe the business is worth. And so we've always got that in mind because markets today and investors today are very focused on the short term. And I touched on those three things that matter when you're investing, the fundamental analysis, what's a company worth, the psychology of investors, and then looking at risk. That psychology plays a huge part in people's investment decisions. And the market is driven by people and people are emotional and make emotional decisions. And one key thing that people do is take the most recent information and extrapolate it into the future. The recency bias? The recency bias. Now, that most recent information could be a company has delivered a really disappointing earnings result and people are saying, well, things could be over for this company. That can sometimes be an outstanding investment opportunity because you can buy that company at a discount to what it usually trades at. How important is conviction? It's absolutely essential because we've got a really simple saying at Firetrail and that is to generate exceptional returns, your portfolio needs to be different to the average investor's portfolio. Uh, Because if your portfolio of companies looks the same as what everyone else owns, then your returns are going to be the same as what everyone else earns. There's a few key tricks you can put in place. The first is cut out the short-term noise and, and think about the long term. The second is focus on what matters. What are the key drivers of that underlying business and what is really going to drive that business into the future? What are the key risks that that business faces? And finally, come up with your own valuation and have the work behind that to have the conviction in that valuation before you make a decision. Then you need the conviction to actually make that decision and invest. Uh, So it's hard one, isn't it? Conviction is a hard one thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's I mean, not you, easy. You guys are arguing with each other all the time, aren't you? And um, Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, no one takes anything on face value. Absolutely not. I mean, to give you an idea, there's so much work that goes into investing in a company and the project can be anything from two weeks for a company that we know really well. And our guys have on average 14 years experience doing this. So some companies they know very well, but for a company that we're getting to know, the work can take up to three months and that's having 
two to three guys in the meetings, understanding what's going on, multiple meetings with management, suppliers, industry experts, getting down on the ground and kicking the tires and making sure you actually see the assets of the business and you understand the assets of the business. And then it culminates in an investment committee where there are 10 of us in the room. We listen to the analysts' insights. We have an overview of the company. We focus on what matters. We have a look at the risk and then we look at the valuation and then we debate it out and uh, we decide what will go into the portfolio and what won't. Three out of four companies that are put up to that investment committee don't make it into the portfolio the first time. It's a very, very high hurdle to get into the portfolio. And the reason for that is we're building a concentrated portfolio of our very best ideas. So 20 to 25 Australian companies, it's a high hurdle to get in. And you've got to have that conviction in the underlying earnings and the valuation for a company to hit the portfolio. Do you ever have any punch-ups? Well, never any, never any, never any punch-ups. We we call it. It's an idea meritocracy at, at Firetrail, and so everyone has a voice. And we actually try to eliminate some of those psychological and behavioural biases that can come through. And so we actually do it at the end of an investment committee. We do a vote, and it's called a conviction score. And so at the end, we'll talk about a company, and we'll do a blind vote on the back of a piece of paper between zero to four. We then turn it over, and we debate out. So I may have. A four, James may have a two, Patrick, our boss, may have a two, and we debate it out and and see where we land. Importantly, we've got to be on the same page for a company to go into the portfolio. So it's a very high hurdle. But for us, if you've got that conviction, then it means you can take a meaningful position, and and that's how we do it. Yeah, that's a great insight into what happened, what's uh, going on within a fund management company. You're, it's a fund management company, isn't it? Just to be. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We're a fund management. And company. you're fundies. We're fundies, we're fundies. So, I mean, our, our, our sort of clients, we manage money for superannuation funds, high net worth, yeah. family offices, financial advisors, and direct investors. So, um, how old are your kids? I've got a three-and-a-half-year-old and a, a six-month-old. Are they ingress- aggressively invested at the moment? Uh, what have you got them in? I've actually, uh, believe it or not, I've got them in something called investment bonds mm-hmm. and um wow that's very old school it is it is old school uh, and and the reason i've got them in in these investment bonds, so an investment bond is basically a product where you can invest in the underlying australian equities market or the like but it's within this bond or insurance structure and the reason you invest in that structure is because it's very tax efficient and at the end of holding it you've got to hold it for at least 10 years but at the end of that uh you get a reduction in the tax that you pay following that 10 years so my kids, very, very young. They've got a huge investment horizon uh, ahead of them. And so they've got a huge advantage. And so for me, I've, I've got them in those investment bonds invested in shares. At what age are you going to start uh, trying to teach them? It's a really good question. I, I think my three-and-a-half-year-old, I, I think we're going to start teaching her about money over the next year. Um, but just teaching her about some real basics in financials, i.e. how to save for something how to put uh, money aside for spending, but also how to put money aside for, for giving. Because I think today it's very, very difficult growing up in a consumption-style economy and the fulfilment that you think you get out of consuming probably isn't there. And I think uh, the fulfilment you get out of giving uh, far outweighs uh, consuming. And so I think instilling that in her early uh, will be great. And also getting her to learn how to save and, and invest through time as well. Financial planners have a whole suite of products that they can call upon with which they'll invest their clients' money. 
If um, listeners are now looking around for a financial planner, what should they be doing? What questions should they be asking? What they should be looking for is a financial advisor who is asking them the right questions. Uh, And so the right questions for a financial advisor to be asking someone is about their own personal situation, what their own goals are, what they're looking to achieve, and then building an investment plan, and not just an investment plan, but a retirement plan or a wealth plan, whatever the individual's goals are to meet those needs. So the key part of, in my view, and this isn't advice to anyone, this is just my personal view, the key part of a financial advisor's role is to understand an individual's situation and put steps in place to improve their situation in terms of their wealth creation and their wealth management. And that involves asking the right questions, listening, and then putting things into place. Now, once they've done that, the second part of a financial advisor's job, which is absolutely critical, is providing education for the individual so that when the inevitable thing happens, share prices rise and fall through times, and inevitably, over time, there are going to be corrections, there are going to be recessions. It's educating people in advance of that so they have the psychological fortitude to be able to invest and make the right decisions uh, through those difficult periods because it is through those difficult periods that investors make poor investment decisions. Okay, so tell us about uh, Firetrails products. We are a high-conviction investment manager, and, and what does that mean? It means we're looking to build portfolios of our very best ideas. So you can go out tomorrow and buy the index and buy the top 200 publicly listed companies An ETF, in Australia. you can get an yeah. ASX 200 uh, ETF easily, just uh, buy it tomorrow. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, and what that will guarantee you is you will get the average returns of the market. And for some investors, that's really good. The important thing is because our portfolio is very, very different to the average investor's portfolio, our returns are different. And over the short term, our returns can be less than the market. But hopefully, if we're making the right investment decisions and what we've shown over 14 years is that we have, uh, will outperform the market over time. And the longer you're holding that investment, the greater that compounding becomes. And so, I mean, compounding is one of the most powerful forces in wealth creation. And I think just being very pragmatic and making setting up the right investment framework for you and waiting a long time can be one of the best decisions you make, particularly if you're young and early, early in your life. Starting to invest early can create huge potential outcomes for you when you're moving into retirement. Kyle, thank you very much for coming along and speaking with us today. Thanks, Phil. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice, and you shouldn't buy or sell any shares based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances, or current situation. And I'd also like to say a big thank you to Christopher Sulos of Garlic Breath Studios for all the fantastic help with the music production. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 